Good morning, Connection. How are we today? Pretty good? All right, that was decent. That was decent. Um, good to see you this morning. My name is John. I serve as one of the pastors here, and really glad that you have joined us today. Um, and if you have been kind of with us for the past month or so, um, you know that we have been in a series called No Regrets. No Regrets. And um, the reason we titled it this is we were kind of looking at the start of this year. We realized um, so often you kind of go into the year with um, just good aspirations for the year, but so often you get to the end of the year and you find yourself sometimes with regrets of thinking, I, I wish I had spent more time doing this. I wish I had ate less or worked out more, or read my Bible more, or whatever it might have been. And so we were thinking, how can we prepare on the beginning of the year so that when we get to the end of the year, it would be a year that we would look back and say, I don't have any regrets. What are the things that we can focus on? What are the things that we can put our attention on that we can know and trust that we will not regret doing. And those things that we decided that we really wanted to talk through are things that we refer to at this church as culture. So we have four cultures as a church um, that we believe um, are, should be true of every believer, should be true of every church. Um, and we believe these are the things that um, not only should they be true of us, but we should be growing in these things. These are things that as believers, we should constantly be stretched in these areas. But it should also be what the outside world, when they look at us, they see these things in our lives. And so over the past four weeks or three weeks, we've been going through these things. We talked about um, serving, and that was the first culture, and talking about how we're not going to get to the end of our lives regretting serving other people. We're not going to think, man, I wish I hadn't served people as much as I had. The second week, we talked about community and talking about the importance of community. And community is far more than just being in a small group, but it's so essential to the life of, of the believer and how we aren't going to regret investing in community, being a part of community. We're not going to go, man, I wish I hadn't spent all that time with God's people. All right, that, that, that was, didn't need to do that. All right? Last week, the land was preached, and he was talking about evangelism and talking about preaching God's word. Right? We're not going to get to the end of our lives going, I wish I hadn't shared the gospel with so many people. I wish I hadn't won so many people to the Lord. We're not going to do that. We're never going to regret sharing our faith with other believers. And today, we're going to hit the fourth culture, which is generosity. And the hope is that when we look at this, we never will regret being generous to other people. We're not going to look back and go, man, I wish I hadn't given away so much money to people in need. And so that's where we're going to be today. That's what we're going to be looking at. So I want to pray for us, and then we're going to dive in and kind of see what the Lord has for us today. So let's pray. Father, we love you. God, we're thankful for um, this opportunity to be together, God, to be gathered together, to sing praises to you, God. Um, God, just to tell you thank you for the blood. God, we were overwhelmed by the reality of what you did for us on the cross and how that changes everything in our life. And it affects every decision. It affects um, the way that we live our lives, the way that we um, respond to other people. And I just pray right now that, God, as we unpack this last culture that we've identified as a church, as, a, as something that we are to grow in, something that we are to be about, something that is true of believers, that, God, um, you speak to us. God, you grow us in this. You challenge our, um, maybe where we, how we've always looked at this in the past. And that, God, you will just continue to speak to us specific to where we are at in our life as a believer. And so, Father, um, we're just thankful again for this time that we have together, God, to open your word, um, God, to sing, and God, just to, um, to be in your presence, God. And so, Father, speak to us this morning, God. We lift all this up in your son's holy and precious name. Amen. 
Amen. Now, I know something that right out the gate, um, whenever you open up the idea of generosity, you open up the idea of, of money, sometimes in a room, it just kind of, like the, the air kind of gets sucked out just a little bit. And because the reality is that there's things that are true about money, about talking about money, that, that it's going to affect how you hear this message, um, how we apply it, how we, uh, how we think about it. And the, these things are true whether I like them or whether you like them or not. Because the reality is that the, the church at large, not necessarily um, completely connection, but the, the church at large has not always done a good job of speaking on money, right? And how they've handled that, how they've addressed that. And many of you, you've had bad situations that you've dealt with in regards to money and the church. Now, personally, in my life, I haven't necessarily been a part of a church that I've seen it handled poorly. Not that the churches I've been a part of or even just that we've been, been perfect in everything, but I haven't really seen a lot of really mismanagement. And so I can't necessarily relate to that. But then when I hear stories from people, when I hear people say, oh, yeah, I heard about a church that after you got saved, you go to the front and they talk to you and they say, hey, next week, why don't you bring your W-2 with you so that we can know how much to expect that you're going to give moving forward. And I hear a story like that and I'm like, really? That happens? Or I hear people's stories about how churches they were a part of, it seemed as though if you gave more, you were valued more than people that didn't give as much. And there just seemed to be this complete mismanagement. And I realized that's going to affect your interpretation of what God has to say about money. It's going to affect the way you're going to hear everything that I say today. And I want to encourage you as much as I can express or try to get you to believe me that the goal of this message is not for you to give to connection. That's not the win. It's not the motivation. The goal of today is for our hearts to overflow with generosity in light of what Jesus has done for us. That is the goal of today, is for us to be so reminded of what Jesus has done for us that our hearts overflow with generosity. It's about preaching a generous heart, not preaching give to connection. Now listen, do I believe that this is a worthwhile investment? Do I believe that as believers we are called to support the local church? Do I see God doing amazing things here that I want you to be a part of, and so that we can continue to see more people reached. Unapologetically, yes, I believe that. But again, the motivation is not for that. Connection might be a byproduct of your generosity, but this is not the ultimate goal. The other thing that I know to be true is that talking about money sometimes can feel more invasive than even talking about sex, right? It feels personal. It feels private. It feels like I don't really want you sticking your nose in my business. Here's the thing. I don't want to stick my nose in your business, but God does. God wants to be involved in every aspect of your financial life. Scripture explains that there is this link between our money and our hearts. And when we orient our money towards the kingdom, our hearts follow suit. Here's the reality. Even though it can feel invasive, even though it can feel private, what I realize is it seems as though people genuinely want to be generous. It's not something people are just wholeheartedly against. 
we see this every year when we do give Christmas as a church, right? We provide Christmas for people in need in our community, and, and overwhelmingly, people just, you respond, and you say, we, we want these families. I hear people say, give me a big family, right? I, I hear people say, man, I really kind of overdid it on, on my spending on give Christmas this year because you were so motivated in generosity. You wanted to be a part of it. It seems like when we put the needs in front of people, so often you respond. And so even though sometimes people push back on talking about money, it seems like there's this genuine desire to want to be generous. Here's another thing that's true. If you're making minimum wage in here today, that means you are richer than 70% of this world. Here's the reality, that the things that Scripture says about generosity is just as true for us as it is for the 70% that make less than us. They, too, are called to be generous. But here's the thing. As Americans, we are uniquely positioned to use how we have been blessed financially to be a part of God's work in the world in incredible ways. The potential that the American church has to leverage our finances for the gospel is exponentially possible. Listen, we cannot not talk about it, right? I realize that's a double negative, but that's how important this is because of the position that we are in. The final thing that I realize is true about talking about generosity is it's easy sometimes to think of others when it comes to generosity. What happens is we begin to do things like, I'm not able to give what that person's able to give, right? I, I can't do that. I, I just don't have enough. I don't have the ability to be able to do that. And we begin to feel guilt for that because we begin to look at what others are able to do. Or it could be, why isn't that person giving more? I can't believe they would spend the money on that. Why aren't they giving more? And we begin to point a finger at somebody else. The discernment of generosity is for the individual, not the peanut gallery, Right? Today, the audience is you, not your neighbor. Today is about what is God calling you to? What is he speaking to you about? These things are true, all right? So here's my challenge. Don't let your previous experiences affect your future decisions. Remember that when you surrendered your life to Jesus, nothing was off limits for God to speak into. He has access to every part of your life. Recognize that there's probably a desire in you to be generous, right? How do you fan that flame? What's standing in your way to do so? Recognize the blessing and the position that the Lord has placed you in financially. And as hard as you can this morning, focus on what that means for you, okay? So here's what I want us to do. What does biblical generosity truly look at? When we look at Scripture and we see the examples of generosity, what does that look like? What are examples of how this is lived out? Well, first, what are we called to be generous to? What does Scripture say that we are to be generous to? One of the, the main things that we're called to be generous to is, is to the poor, to the sick, to the vulnerable, widows, orphans, children. We see a clear command in Scripture for us to support those things. We also see in Scripture that we are called to support God's mission, right? The, the church, the saints, the preaching of his word, sending missionaries, right? Ultimately, supporting the gospel moving forward, we as Christians are called to support financially. Sometimes in Scripture, 
We see this as almost, um, as it's a, it's a mandatory requirement as believers. In Acts 20, 35, it says, In everything I did, I showed you that by this kind of hard work, we must, we must help the weak. Remembering the words the Lord Jesus himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. It's almost as though it is a mandatory requirement for us as Christians to be generous to those in need. And there's other times in Scripture that we see it's more of a voluntary situation. In 2 Corinthians 9, 7, it says this, Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. It seems as though we have this opportunity to do this, and God is opening up this opportunity for us to decide what is it that we are to give. So it's with this framework of generosity that I want us to look at a passage to kind of see how this plays out and what this can look like. And so we're going to be in the book of Exodus today. Um, We're going to be in Exodus 35 and 36. And as I was um, preparing for this, I wanted to look back because I kind of came across this passage and it really, honestly, it kind of blew me away. I really was just blown away at the example of generosity that we see. But I wanted to kind of understand what brought them to this point. And so I kind of started back at the beginning of Exodus and began to kind of look through what was going on leading up to chapter 35. And we know in the book of Exodus, um, a lot of this is talking about Moses' life. It starts off with the birth of Moses and um, it kind of begins to walk with him as he... um, begins to kind of raise up in leadership. We see that the Israelites, God's people, um, they have, um, are currently in, in captivity with um, Pharaoh and the Egyptians. And so they're, um, they're in slavery right now and they're having to do this. And now Moses is going to Pharaoh and he's trying to plead with Pharaoh to, to let the Israelites go, to be able to, to go and worship. And Pharaoh over and over again says, yeah, okay, I'll do that. And then he changes his mind, his heart's hardened. And we see this back and forth over and over again. Moses is going to Pharaoh. He says he's gonna let them go. And then he changes his mind and his heart is hardened over over and over and over again. And we see that throughout many chapters of Exodus. And then finally, it brings us up to the point where Pharaoh finally says, I'm going to let them go. They begin to to leave. And then sure enough, Pharaoh changes his mind again. And they're getting to the Red Sea. And this is the scene where Moses lifts his hand. The Red Sea parts. The Israelites begin to to walk across. And then the Egyptians and the armies, they're chasing them. They they go following to the Red Sea. And the Red Sea comes back down together, um, kills all of the people um, there. And the Israelites are finally finally set free. But now they're in the desert. And there's this big celebration. We're finally set free. But very quickly, the Israelites saw God's provision, saw his deliverance. They began getting frustrated very quickly. Immediately, they begin to go, how are we going to be provided for? We don't have any food. We don't have any water. We don't have any of these things. And they begin to grumble against God. And they begin to tell Moses, you sh- we should have just stayed in captivity. We should have stayed in slavery. Why did you bring us here? The people saw what God did for for them. It was this miraculous thing, and immediately they they began to question it, right? And so over and over again, God begins to prove himself, and God begins to provide over and over over again. And so then the Israelites, they see it, they honor God, they're like, all right, this is great. And then something else comes up, they begin to turn their focus back on themselves, and they begin to get angry again and frustrated with Moses and frustrated with God. And this is this this kind of thing that's going on while they're in the desert, And then it brings us forward to where 
Moses is meeting with God, and he's getting the Ten Commandments, and he's getting all of these things laid out by God of things that God wants to, um, he wants to set up his tabernacle, he wants to um, create the Ark of the Covenant, he's wanting to do all these things, he's wanting the Israelites to be a part of this. And so God is laying all this out for Moses, he's giving very detailed instructions to him, and so Moses is meeting with God for about 40 days, and during that time, the Israelites they begin to turn away, and they actually constructed a golden calf for them to worship to, right? So Moses is gone for 40 days, and in that time, they, the Israelites forgot about the goodness of God, forgot about how he is the only God that they should worship, and they began to worship a golden calf. And so Moses is feeling good. He's meeting with God. He's getting the, um, all these commandments. He's getting um, these instructions to construct all this stuff, and the Israelites are going to get be, to be a part of this. And he comes down there, and he sees this golden calf, and the Israelites worship, worshiping this golden calf, and he throws the tablets down because he's just frustrated. He's like, guys, I was gone for 40 days, right? It wasn't that long of a time, and immediately you turned away to something else. And it's just, it was frustrating for him. And ultimately, he meets back with God again, and God kind of lays out the instructions. And now Moses is in front of the people again, and he's beginning to lay out to them, look, God wants to create this tabernacle, and it's going to require different materials. It's going to require for you to be a part of this. And so Moses is laying this out in front of the people, and this is where we are at in Exodus right now. This is kind of the scene that is going on as we're picking up in chapter 35, is that this is Moses presenting the materials that are going to be needed for the tabernacle. And again, it's important to realize how quickly the Israelites would turn away, right? When Moses was near, when God was near, it seemed they were locked in. And as soon as they began to focus on themselves, they turned away from that. But here they're locked in again, and they're hearing about the needs. And so we're going to pick up in verse 4 of chapter 35, and this is what it says. It says, Moses said to the whole Israelite community, This is what the Lord has commanded. From what you have, take an offering for the Lord. Everyone who is willing is to bring to the Lord an offering of gold, silver, and bronze, blue, purple, and scarlet yarn, and fine linen, goat hair, ramskins, dyed red, and hides of sea cows, Acadia wood, olive oil for the light, spices for the anointing oil, and for the fragrant incense, and onyx stones and other gems to be mounted on the ephod and breastplate. All who are skilled among you to come and make everything the Lord commanded, the tabernacle with its tent and its covering, clasps, frames, crossbars, posts, and bases, the ark with its poles and the atonement cover, and the curtain that shields it, the table with the poles and all of its articles, and the bread of the, of the presence, the lampstand that is the light with its accessories, lamps and oil for light, the altar of incense with its poles, the anointing oil, and the fragrant incense, the curtain for the doorway at the entrance to the tabernacle, the altar of burnt offerings with its bronze grating, its poles and all its utensils, the bronze basin with its stand, the curtains of the courtyard with its post and basin, the curtain for the entrance to the courtyard, the tent pegs for the tabernacle for the courtyard, their ropes, the woven garments worn ministering in the sanctuary, both the sacred garments from Aaron and the priest and the garments for his sons, when they serve as priests, we're beginning to see all the things that God was inviting the Israelites to be a part of, inviting them to be involved with. Then the whole Israelites community withdrew from Moses' presence, and everyone who was willing and whose heart moved him came and brought an offering to the Lord for the work of the tent of meeting. For all its service and for the sacred garments, all who were willing 
men and women alike, came and brought gold and jewelry and all kinds, brooches, earrings, rings, and ornaments. They all presented their gold as a wave offering to the Lord. Everyone who had blue, purple, and scarlet yarn or fine linen and goat hair, rams, skins, dyed red and hides of sea cows brought them. Those presenting an offering of silver or bronze brought it as an offering to the Lord, and everyone who had Acadia wood for any part of the work brought it. Every skilled woman spun with her hands and brought what she had spun, blue, purple, or scarlet yarn or fine linen. And all the women who were willing and had the skill spun the goat here, the leaders brought onyx stones and other gems to be mounted on the ephod and the breastplate. They also brought spices and olive oil for the light and for the anointed oil and for the fragrant incense. All the Israelites, men and women who were willing, brought to the Lord free will offerings for all the work the Lord Moses had commanded them to do. And so we see this picture that Israelites, they're beginning to bring all of these things that God is inviting them to participate in. And we see it's, they're, they're bought in, right? They're on board with this. And you see over and over again, it says that they were willing to do this. And it doesn't seem like it was a willingness like, all right, yeah, I'm willing to do this, but I don't really want to. It doesn't seem like that. That's the tone here. It seems like they are willing with desire and with joy. They want to participate in this. It says that they were willing and their heart was moved, right? They were stirred in their desire to be a part of what God was doing. And so Moses begins to identify some people that are going to kind of help organize the construction of this tabernacle. And he's beginning to get them to, uh, to put all these things together and to be a part of this. And as these people begin to work on these things, this is what it says. And we're going to continue in chapter 36, and we're going to pick up in verse 2. Then Moses summoned Bezalel and Oholiab, and every skilled person to whom the Lord had given ability and who was willing to come and do the work. They received from Moses all the offerings the Israelites had brought to carry out the work of constructing the sanctuary. And the people continued to bring free will offerings morning after morning. So all the skilled craftsmen who were doing all of the work on the sanctuary left their work and said to Moses, the people are bringing more than enough for doing the work the Lord commanded to be done. Listen here. Then Moses gave an order, and they sent this word throughout the camp. No man or woman is to make anything else as an offering for the sanctuary. And the, so the people were restrained from bringing more, because what they already had was more than enough to do all of the work. How crazy is that? That the people were so motivated, they were so stirred, they were so excited to participate in generosity that Moses literally had to tell them, stop it. You're bringing too much. That's a pretty crazy example of biblical generosity, right? What creates this type of generosity, right? What would create this type of generosity in us? Because here's the thing, there's no percentage laid out here, right? It's not a, hey, give this amount of your money. That's not there. There's no obligation. There's no, you have to do this. No, it was, are you willing to do this? This is a free will, hearts moved, sacrificial generosity. As I was reading this section, I came across a note in the, the study notes of my Bible that just, it really, um, I, I couldn't have put it any better. And this is what the study notes said. It said, the earnest response of the people to the request for contributions 
such that they had to be restrained from bringing any more, is a fitting response to the Lord who has been gracious and merciful. Their response was fitting what in light of what God had done for them. Our generosity is a fitting response for what Jesus has done for us. So how does this take place? How do we experience that type of generosity? What must be present? Here's what I feel like I've, as I've studied this, as I've identified, and I believe that there are three uniques, right? There's three distinctives that are going on in this group of people that also must be going on in us for us to also experience this type of biblical generosity. The first one, first unique or distinctive is you have to have a close proximity to the need or the mission. You must have close proximity to the need or the mission. See, here's the thing. We saw this throughout Exodus is as the Israelites were close to God, close to Moses, and what was going on there, they were passionate about what was going on. But the second they began to turn away, the second they began to focus on their own needs, right, they began to become far less generous and far more concerned with what they needed, right? What I realize is that oftentimes we have to be close to the mission. We have to be aware of what God is wanting to do in and through us. The more we're aware of that, the more passionate we're going to become about that. The other thing is oftentimes we have to position ourselves to be where the needs are. Last year, we, uh, we wanted to do a service day as a church. And so we began to put out um, something to y'all basically saying, hey, we want to identify needs in our community. We know that there's multiple people, plenty of people that are in need in our community. How can we meet some of those needs as a church? How can we be a blessing to this community? And so we put it out for y'all to be able to nominate people, suggest different projects for us to be able to participate in. Well, as you know, we didn't do a service day last year, and it was because we couldn't identify one project. Now, it doesn't mean that there weren't needs. It doesn't mean there weren't things that were present. But what I've realized, even about myself, is I'm not always in close proximity to the needs in this community. Now, there's people that, that come into the church, that walk through our doors, that you know, are, are struggling in the need of things. But also, often in my everyday life, I'm not always around those needs. So it was even tough for me to even fill out one of those things. because I'm like, I just don't really know what is needed. And what I realize is that Sometimes we might need to reposition ourselves to be around the needs that are in front of us. If we are going to care for the poor and the needy and the vulnerable, we have to be able to be in proximity to them. And I am having to look at my own life. What must change in order for that to be true? How must I reposition myself? How can my proximity be adjusted in order for that to to be true of me? How can that be a unique about me? The second thing, you have to have a firm understanding that you have a part to play. A firm understanding that you have a part to play. What we see the Israelites understand is they realize in order for this to, to, to happen, we all are involved in this. The command to the Israelites or the desire to the Israelites is, hey, God's wanting you to be a part of this. It's going to require skilled laborers. It's going to require many of the things that you have. You get to be a part of this. 
God wants us to be a part of his plan. And it's incredible when we recognize that. He chooses to use us. But here's the thing. God's not poor, right? We got to understand that God, the God that we serve, the God that we worship, is the God that created everything, right? The earth, he created it out of nothing. Us, he created it out of nothing. If he wanted to create a stack of $100 bills on this stage, he could probably do that, right? He's not lacking. He's not unable to do that. But yet he wants us to be a part of it. And I don't want us to miss that opportunity that we have. He wants us to be a part not because he can't, but because he wants to, us to experience the joy of being a part of his mission. Jordan said this a couple weeks ago. He said that if you want to have a sense of awe and of wonder at what God is doing, be around his people. Be a part of God's mission. If you want to experience that type of joy, that type of awe, that type of wonder, be a part of God's mission. What stops us from having this type of firm understanding that we have a part to play? Oftentimes we can say things like, well, I, I don't have much. I don't have much to give. What, what difference can I really make? Last August we um, announced that we had completed the one-on-one -on -one project. And this was a, a thing that we started 10 years ago to um, raise, building, raise money for this building. And um, half of it was going to go towards this building. Half of it was going to go towards missions and outreach. And 10 years ago, there was a couple that they didn't have a whole lot, but they said, you know what, we, we got about 40 bucks every so often that we could give, and we're, we're going to be willing to give that. And I don't know, that's not going to pay a building off, but it's what we have to give. And that couple gave 417 times, $40 and $40, to where by the end of it, they had given over $17,000 to one in one what they recognize is they had a part to play. And over 10 years, they provided a whole lot. That $17,000 has met a lot of needs in this community, a lot of needs to the ends of the earth. And it was because they recognized they had a part to play. Many of us in this room, we have been blessed in incredible ways. Americans, just as a nation, we are a blessed people. And some of you have a God-given ability to make money. You are just good at it, right? And the thing that I want you to understand is maybe God is uniquely wanting to use that gift set for his glory. You know, there's a handful of these millionaires and billionaires that I'm sure y'all are probably familiar with that... They're all participating in this, like, this giving challenge. I think Warren Buffett was the one that started this, where basically the goal is they wanted, at, by the end of their life, to give away their entire wealth, all, everything they have accumulated over the years. And set aside their political opinions or their beliefs or anything like this, what it seems as though is that they've identified something about themselves, that for whatever reason, they have been able to generate and accumulate an insane amount of money. It seems to be unique to them. It seems to be something that they have had an ability to do that others haven't. And so they decided, you know what, we're going to leverage what we have been given in order to give it to other people. 
to give it to other organizations. Now, I'm not looking at the things that they support. You might disagree with some of the things they've given money to. I'm not focused on that. I just want you to see a picture. They've identified they have a part to play, that they they have a reality that they've been given much, and so they want to do something with that. It seems as though they've grabbed a hold of that. But see, here's the thing. There could be things that begin to stand in our way for us to have that same type of outlook or perspective of how we can be used. I heard a pastor say this when talking about generosity. He said that and asked the question, has life's amenities become necessities? Has the amenities in our lives, the amenities that we have become accustomed to become necessities? Because when amenities become necessities, we begin to close ourselves off from what God might use us for. We begin to say, oh, don't touch that, God. Right? I, I need that, right? I need that. You can't touch that because I've, I've become so accustomed to this. And we begin to close ourselves off. Maybe God wanted to use us in the way of generosity that's going to require us to be willing to sacrifice. Are we understanding the role that we have to play? The third unique or distinctive is that your hearts have been stirred, not steered. Your hearts have been stirred, not steered. What we see in the Israelites here, it says that they were willing, that their hearts were moved, their hearts were stirred for what God was desiring to do in and through them. They weren't being manipulated. They weren't being controlled, right? They were recognizing that they were seeing something was happening inside, that they were recognizing a role that they had to play and they got to play, and that was motivating them. It was stirring them. When we are stirred, giving becomes an opportunity, a get-to. Other things shift in order that I may give because it's in response to what Christ has done. When we're steered, giving becomes a chore, a have to. Giving becomes a requirement. You give under compulsion or through guilt. It doesn't result in an overflow. Your giving ends up having limitations or even contingencies. I'll give if. Two days ago, Friday, I was working on my taxes, and I was looking at stuff and coming across stuff, and I was having a conversation with my accountant, and I was realizing something that if I would given just a little bit more last year, I would have gotten a much larger refund. And I'm going, what, what can I do? How, how can I give a little bit more? Is there any way that I can kind of back give a little bit? And Because I want to be able to get this bigger, this bigger deduction, right? And realizing, like, okay, you can't really do that. And so, But I'm sitting there, and I'm kind of like, man, I, could have given a little bit more. I would have gotten a lot more. And I'm sitting there, and it kind of hit me yesterday. I'm like, here on Sunday, I'm preaching a message about generosity. And Friday, my mindset, my view is, if I give, then maybe I could get just a little bit more. I'm not immune to falling victim to this, to allowing my motivation to be more about what can I get from this than what than the reason and the motivation of why I would want to give to begin with. Here's the reality. If charitable deductions went away with our taxes, would we be just as motivated to give? If we knew that was taken off the table, 
Now, look, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with taking a tax deduction. Look, I was trying to get as much as I could, right? But I want us to look at what is the motivation to our giving in the first place. It's just like what Austin talked about the first week in regards to our serving. Are we serving others in hopes that we might get something back from them? Are we serving because it's an overflow of our heart and we are doing it with no expectation of return? Our generosity should look the same way. Here's the reality about these uniques. That in order for us to experience this type of generosity, you can't just have one of these uniques, right? You've got to have all three. You can't just have two of these uniques. You have to have all three because oftentimes you can be aware of a need. You can be aware of the mission that's in front of you, but maybe you don't recognize the role that you have to play in that. Maybe you recognize the need, but you're not stirred, right? You maybe have some bitterness towards giving, and so you see the need, but you're like, I just... Nothing's stirring me to actually want to be a part of that. Or maybe you recognize the part that you have to play, but you just don't see any opportunities for you to play a part in that. Or maybe you recognize that, yeah, I have a part to play, but you know what? I've seen it abused so often that my heart has just become calloused to wanting to give, so I'm not going to participate because I don't feel like I can trust the person that I might be giving my money to. You know you're supposed to, but you're calloused to it. Or maybe... Your heart has been stirred incredibly, but you don't see the need. Or you think, yeah, I have this passion to do this, but what can I really do? Can I really do something that's actually going to make a difference? Again, all three must be present in order for us to experience this type of biblical generosity. Here's the question. Are these uniques present in your life? As you look at them, which one do you feel like maybe needs some work? Which one needs some adjustment? And what's standing in your way for that to be true of you? And so what I want to do is I want to leave us with some, some applications, some opportunities for how this type of generosity could get played out. You know, I mentioned in the beginning that, again, the goal of this is not to give to connection, that oftentimes that we, we just want to be a catalyst to your generosity. Back in August when we finished the one-on-one project, and we started something new. It was called Inside Out. And the idea was that we didn't want to be so focused on what God was doing right here at Connection that we missed out on the needs that are out there. We missed out on all the other things that people are participating in, organizations and, and needs that are out there. And we said, hey, everything that's going to be given to Inside Out, 100% of the money given to this is going to go right back out these doors. Because we realize many of the things that Inside Out supports is going to be the poor and the needy, right? The widows. And I think about the, the hygiene ministry that we started where we're meeting hygiene needs for students in our community that don't have access to soap or to toothpaste or basic essentials. And we've given almost 3,000 items this past year to the poor, to the people that are in need of these things, that we were able to meet that need. I think about Esther's place, right? They have a widow's support group. Widows are being cared for, supported, encouraged, loved, 
because of the generosity that many people have given to Inside Out. It's an opportunity for us to express our generosity, for us to express in light of what God has done in my life, here's a way for me to give to those in need. And it's a way for it to say, hey, it isn't just about giving to connection. Everything that goes there is going to go right back out again. And I encourage you is see all that we're doing through Inside Out. You can go to our website. You can go to connection.church slash Inside Out, and you can see all these different organizations and agencies that we're trying to partner with as an opportunity. If that's an area that you want to be generous to, if that's an area that you've identified the need, you recognize that maybe I have a role to play in this, and that maybe your heart is stirred or moved in order to support that because you recognize what's going on there. As I mentioned in the beginning, that I believe in what God's doing here. I believe in what God is accomplishing through this body of believers. And I do believe it's a worthwhile investment. Last year, we saw incredible things take place. And in fact, today, we are releasing an annual report from 2022. And you can go to um, the, the website and you can see that. You can scan that QR code. It's another way for you to be able to access that. But it's shares all the things that we saw God do. It also shares several testimonies from people where they experienced God's love in incredible ways. And the reason we want to put this in front of you is we want you to see what's happening. We want you to see the need. We want you to be stirred by what God is doing here. So you recognize maybe this isn't something that I want to be a part of. Here's the reality is that, listen, For many of you that are heart and soul here, being heart and soul means that you want to intentionally be a part of what God is doing here in this local body. And giving is a part of that. Another thing is in a couple, um, over this next year, we're going to have several short-term missionaries that are going to be going out. They're going to be taking the gospel to different places. And here's what I want to do. I want to do something a little bit different. I'm going to invite those people, some of those people that are going on those trips to come forward, and they're going to come up here on the stage because I want you to see them. And so if that's y'all, y'all can go ahead and come on forward. Um, We have um, two teams that are going to be going out um, here um, pretty shortly. The first is going to be a team um, that's going to something called Engage Global. And what Engage Global is, it is a um, a training, basically, weekend. You go to Minneapolis, and Minneapolis has a lot of different people groups, a lot of different beliefs. And what you do is you get to go, and you get to be exposed to people groups and to religions and to beliefs that are probably much different than what you have become accustomed to. And so you get to learn, and you have classes where you study and you learn about what is it, How do you effectively share the gospel with somebody that believes something completely different than what you believe? And it's an opportunity for people to be equipped to be able to better take the gospel to other places. And so we have a team that's going there. We have another team of college students that are going to the Dominican Republic. Right? They're going to begin to take food to different, um, basically, communities and use that as the opportunity to take rice and beans, use that as the opportunity to share the gospel with these people. And we have these college students that are willing to say, hey, I'm going to give up my spring break so that I may take the gospel to somewhere else that it isn't. Here's the reality is that these people right here, I want you to see their faces. These are the people that sit next to you, right? These are the people that you worship alongside. These are the people that are caring for your students. These are the people that we are heart and soul with, that we said, hey, we're arm in arm, heart and soul, accomplishing the mission of Jesus. And this group of people says, hey, I'm willing to go. Are you willing to send me? Since this church first started, 100% 
of the people that said, I'm willing to go, this church has been willing to send and to support. And we have about $12,000 worth of needs on this stage right now that we have the opportunity to meet, that we have the opportunity to say, hey, you know what, guys? We're behind you, and we're going to help support you to do this. And so the opportunity that you have is, again, you can scan that QR code. You can go to connection.church send, and you'll be able to see these two trips. And what you'll be able to do is, just like you can see their faces right now, is you can click on that link, and you can see these trips. You can hear about their story. And if you feel so led, if your heart is so stirred, you have the opportunity to support them. You have the opportunity to give to allow them to be able to go and take the gospel to a place that it isn't. But I thought it's important. I don't want you to give to something that just seems faceless. These are the faces. These are the ones willing to go. Last year, we had a kind of a difficult time trying to get people to be sent on mission trips. And this year, we have been overwhelmed by the willingness of people to say, I'm willing to go because the mission here is to connect equip, and send God's people. Sending is so essential to us as believers because we are called to take the gospel where it isn't. And I'm thankful for this team of people that are willing to do that. For college students that are passionate about the Lord, they say, send us, we'll go. We've got the time, we've got the flexibility. We're gonna utilize this time strategically in our lives to take the gospel where it isn't. How incredible. We have people that are giving up of their weekends to say, I want to be trained because I want to be as effective as I can to take the gospel and to explain the gospel to people that believe something completely different from me. So see their faces. Click on the link. Look for opportunities to be able to support them. And then before each one of them heads out on, the, on their trips, we'll bring them forward again. We'll pray over them. We'll send them out. And then when they get back, we're going to celebrate all that God has accomplished through them. Thank you all so much for your willingness to go. Y'all can make your way back down again. I appreciate them coming up, and it's awkward I know, sometimes to stand up on a stage, but I just I thought it was important to see the faces, to see the ones that are willing to go. Here's the thing, though. These three examples I've given you, maybe you're still a little skeptical. You're gonna, it still kind of seems like you're asking for things towards connection. These are just the, the opportunities that, that we're aware of here, that we want to put in front of you. Obviously, why would we not want to put those things in front of you? But you know what? If it's not here, here's my encouragement, right? Get in close proximity to the need that does stir your heart and recognize that you have a role to play in that. Whatever opportunity God places in front of you, I encourage you to look at that as an opportunity to extend generosity and to experience the joy that God wants for you to experience. The reason he wants you to be generous is so you can experience all of his fullness, all of his goodness, and so that our hearts will be oriented towards the kingdom because our money is oriented towards the kingdom. Final things to say. Look, generosity does not save us. Right? God doesn't love the person that gives $100,000 any more than the person that gives $10. We don't give to be saved. We give because we are saved. Generosity is just a fruit of our salvation. Look, we can be wealthy and full of generosity. We can be wealthy and full of greed. 
We can be poor and full of generosity. And we can be poor and full of pride at pointing other fingers. Listen, we are never going to regret being generous. At the end of the year, I don't hear people say, ah, shouldn't have given that much. I do hear them say, I can't believe I gave that much. Wow, that's kind of cool. Or they say, I could have given more. I wish that I had. Our generosity as Christians should be a witness to the world of what, what Christ has done for us and our desire to see him do that for others. These four cultures should be a witness to the world at what God has done for us and our desire to see him do that for them. Let's grow in our generosity and let that be what we are known for as Christians. Let's pray. Father, we are so thankful for the blood. The blood that was sacrificed on a rugged cross in the midst of our sin. And while we did not deserve it, God, you and your overwhelming love sent your son to die for us so that we may have life, so that we may be in right standing with you. God, let that be the only motivation behind why we would give, is that we see what you have done for us. Father, I pray that you speak to us, that God, just as we saw in 2 Corinthians, that we would decide in our heart, what is it that you would have us give? How can I be utilized in a way that maybe I am not currently being utilized? What are you calling me to? How can I express my love for you through generosity? Father, we thank you for this encouragement that we saw in your people that gives us a perfect example of what biblical generosity looks like. And God, I pray for those different things in our life that maybe we need to grow in, maybe we need to be challenged in. God, I know myself, I have plenty of things that I need to shift, that I need to adjust, that I'm not perfect in, that I need to grow in my culture of generosity. And let that continue, God. Let that never be just a box that I check off and say, all right, God, it did that, but that I will always be growing in that. Let that be the same for each person in this room, that they will grow in each one of these things. So, Father, we're thankful for these cultures that you have given us. God, continue to use them. Continue to let them be the witness to the world of what you've done for us. Father, we love you, God, and we're just so thankful for um, how you love us. And we lift all this up in your son's name. Amen. Amen. Before y'all leave, um, some things that I want to close you with. As Jordan mentioned, the 412 reading plan is going to be kicking off a week from tomorrow. Um, that's another thing. We're not going to regret getting to the end of this year going, man, I wish I hadn't read the whole Bible. Ah. That was, that was a waste of my time, right? This is going to be an incredible opportunity for us to do as a church, right? The annual report, I'm going to, we're going to post that on social media today. Go take a look at that. Read the stories of what God has done in people's lives. The mission team that's up here, look, scan the, the, the QR code. Look for those people. Look at how you could partner with them. What about this? What would happen if the end of this week we had to post on social media and say, stop giving, church. They're supported. They're fully funded. Stop it. You don't need to give anymore. What if that was the case? 
If you're willing to give and you want to participate in the mission here, you'll have the opportunity as you leave. Next week, we're excited. We're kicking off a new series in the book of Judges. Brandon's going to be back starting that series, so we can't wait to see you then. We love you. Hopefully, you have a great week. We'll see you then.